me today, Dale Dawson. Would you want to take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name's Dale, and uh, I'm a police officer. Or actually, I'm a police sergeant with uh, Eugene Police Department. And I've been a police officer almost 30 years now and um, had two different jobs, uh, one in central Utah and uh, here in Eugene. And I've been in Eugene about 18 years now. How has uh, being an officer changed in that time? That's a long time. Yeah. Um, well, we used to handwrite reports. So it'd be pen and paper is how we'd write the reports. And so now we're doing all these uh, computer programs that are specially designed for uh, police report writing. Does it save time or waste more time? It saves time because of editing, uh, especially if you are not good at organizi organizing your reports, then it's a great to have a word processor there. Then you can, you know, kind of fill things in where they need to go. Um, the computer technology has just been, you know, as you know, at your, well, not at your age, you wouldn't know, uh, <laughs> well, but computer really technology yeah, has been dramatic in 30 years where it, when does it double every capacity, like every five years or it's something like quicker. that. Yeah, that's um, so there's a large debate within society between uh, members of the police force and people who support it and people against it. And I'm curious, what is the general consensus? I mean, obviously, everyone on the forces um, is for it. But do you what's, what's your what do, what do people think about it? Well, police work is necessary because unfortunately you have a small members or a small amount of society that preys on other people and they do that you know in violent crimes they do that in property crimes which is breaking into your cars or breaking into your houses they don't necessarily confront people but they're in there stealing your stuff and then they take it out and they sell it either one for drugs or they sell it for money or um, you know, like, uh, the violent crimes, crimes against people. That's when you have robberies, um, you know, people who get shot and killed or, you know, sex crimes or rapes and things like that. Yeah. I mean, police officers are very necessary and I'm, I guess the reason people are probably against it is cause you see all these things on the news, but in a country cause, okay. So if you go back a long time, like biologically, we're supposed to have a community of maybe a hundred people. Okay. And so now that we're paying attention to the wor the very worst things that happen in a, in a group of 7 billion or at least 360 million people, mm -hmm. like one negative thing comes up and people are like, oh man, now I hate all police officers. Yeah. What do you see as being maybe a solution to kind of mending that gap between the public and the force? Well, usually what they're getting a taste of is the worst of what happens. Yes. Um, what they, a lot of people don't realize, and I don't have the exact number, but if you go in and you look at the sheer number of police contacts, whether it's just traffic stops, person stops, um, anything like that, anything where we contact the public, how often something actually happens and they've come up where it's, and I'm going to just pull this number out of the air, but it's, it's between less than one tenth of 1%. And probably smaller than that. Yep. But then when you scale it up to 360 million, you know, it's, it's something that people see on the news daily and they yeah. kind of build up this stigma in their head, mm -hmm. um, which is for a lot of things, social media and all of even mainstream media is just made to almost, um, I said it in an interview before, but it used to be in your generation, sex cells and now it's hate cells. Yeah. And so it's just this horrible kind of happening where the people we're supposed to trust the most, a decent amount of people are outspokenly against them. 
Well, they always have been. They have been? Yeah, that's gone on for a long time. Um, and some of that is, in my opinion, it's probably well-deserved. Um, one of the things that has just stuck out in my mind is, because uh, I grew up in Houston, and I was probably 10 or 12 years old, um, there was a guy who was in police custody, and he drowned in a bayou, and he was handcuffed behind his back. Okay, so how does a person in police custody? And so I have, that stuck with me. And so what, I'm 55 plus now. And so, I mean, you're looking at 45 years that I've held on to that. And it's like, that was wrong. That was wrong. And, you know, you hear about the corruption that went on. And, you know, especially like back east where, you know, there's definitely a lot of, and I'm not going to say that there's more well, back not there. Well, a lot. It's always that really small percent. There's yeah. just more people. Yeah. Um, it seems to me like, I mean, near if you rounded it, 100% of police officers are good people, but it's those really small percent. But the I feel like maybe the thing is that they're not being held accountable when it does happen. You hear of something like that happening and then them not receiving, uh, not getting you know some that's not true I, and i worked not. two years in internal affairs oh, okay so that's how i know no it's that, that that's not accurate yeah because it's an employment type issue you don't get to find out what actually happens with that mm. there are a number of officers who are terminated and uh, the public may not be aware of how they're terminated whether you know they quit just outright quit before anything comes from it or if they voluntarily give up their certifications but that's just it because it's employment related. That's why the public very rarely finds out what happens with it. So okay. something does happen. It's just where we, we can't be vocal yeah. with it because of the, the laws surrounding it. That makes a lot of sense. And part of what you were saying that the hundred percent of the people are good people. That's not necessarily true. And I guess no one's a hundred percent a good person. And it's, we're a hundred percent people. There we and go. And so when you're dealing with people, you get that wide variety. And so our testing processes try to weed out the people who shouldn't be there. As with anything else, you know, there are people who can get through that system or any system for that matter of fact, um, and get into any particular job, whether it be medicine, dental, teaching, you know, and then all of a sudden this little stuff comes out. But if you look at the people who are identified probably more often than anybody else committing crimes against people, it's teachers and police officers. You teachers. Don't, well, you well you list. There's it's happened here locally where there have been teachers who've been accused of being coming and in sexually involved with students. Mm. Well, it happens with dentists who will grow up patients. It happens with doctors, but because of our particular position. In society, people are very much quicker to point us out than somebody else. Absolutely. When, like I said, all we are, we're people. You're people. That does make a lot of sense. Um, something that has been, there's a lot of, have you heard about what's going on in Hong Kong right now? Yes. Where some people are strongly being like, I support the Hong Kong police. And other people are like, I support the protesters. If something like that went on here in America where people were fighting like i mean kind of what america's uh, based on is like fighting for your freedoms and mm -hmm. um, would the would you as a police officer be able to be like you know what i support the protesters or would you would you um be bound to putting that down 
I mean, well, it, it, I, I have a I have a job to do. Yeah. So my political beliefs when I'm doing my job are off to the side. And I've had people ask me that quite a bit. Well, you know, don't you think drinking in public should be legal? Doesn't matter what I think drinking in public should be. It says it's illegal. You're not going to do it while I'm here. And, you know, here's your ticket. Here's your arrest. Here's whatever it may be. Whether or not I believe support that particular law or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Is it an thankless job or do you ever meet people who are very gracious? We have met a lot more people who are a lot more gracious uh, since 9-11. But actually, I think it's always been really good. I was in a small town before I came here and people were just always happy to see you. They'll, they're happy to talk to you. And I think a big portion of what's missing is because we are so busy that people don't actually get a chance to interact with us where, you know, I can be walking down the street and, and have a casual interaction with somebody, you know, like you or your parents or your grandparents or your neighbors. Um, so I'll I I never make it on the news though. So you know, really and it doesn't, and, and that's why, uh, you know, it's the really vocal people who make it to the news, but like all my neighbors, they know me. Um, it's, I'm very involved in my neighborhood. I check on the older people here and it's not because I'm a cop. It's because of the type of person I am. And nobody hears about that. Yeah. We have all ranks of our department who are involved with, uh, I'm not kids sports, the organization, but kids sports. sporting teams, youth sports. Yeah. I mean, one's a, a, a volleyball coach. One's a baseball coach. Um, you know, we have a guy who goes and volunteers at the uh, service station out on Highway 99. We do all kinds of really good things, but we're not doing it because we're looking for thanks from it. It's just that's what we do. That's the kind of people that are attracted to becoming officers. Yeah. I'm curious, do you, when you're when you're uh, just meeting new people or say if one of your kids um, is dating someone or bringing a friend over, do you ever notice that there's kind of a shift when people know that you're a member of the force and does that affect your relationships at all it doesn't affect my relationships here at the house no it affects my relationships out in public and um so do you feel it's harder to connect with people no it it no it's not harder for me to connect but what they do is is they have a whole different thought pattern it's like so i was out with my sons we were bowling one day and generally I don't tell people what I do and it's not because I'm ashamed of what I do. It's because of the reaction you get. So when this guy found out I'm a police officer, then he goes over to his group and he whispers to his friends, this guy's a cop, you know, and he's pointing at me and it's like, really, did you have to say that? Yeah. And it's like, if I wanted them to know, I would have told them. Mm-hmm. So it's, and then I get all kinds of questions regarding, Oh, well, what, you know, what about this? What about that? You know, my car or, you know, I got stopped by the police for this. And you're off work. You're off duty. Yeah. And it's it like happens asking all the time. a tax accountant about tax stuff when they're just enjoying time with their kids. That's exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm curious. So, so there's almost the dynamic. If you see a firefighter, almost 100% of people are very in support of them. But then in cops, there is that stigma against them. Yeah. What do you think is the difference? Well, we're the only people in society who take somebody's freedom away. Mm, there we go. So, you know, we're, you know, and then you, you have these parents who go, you know, who tell their little kid, you know, if you don't do this or I'm going to have that police officer arrest you. Yeah. And it's like, why would you tell your kid that, you know, we're, that's not what we're here for. 
and it's like it's you know you need to keep help keep your kids safe that's what i'm here for i'm here to keep society safe so i'm here to take you know the drunk driver off the road before you know hopefully before they kill somebody yeah something you know things like that so it's like they you know because our interaction with people is generally because something's going wrong and if you know i stopped a lady for speeding in a school zone you know she was really nice i was very polite went up there and as i went back and i was ready you know i gave her a ticket she's crying mm-hmm. and it's and she was probably 70 years old and what i think a lot of police officers forget is it's a very traumatic encounter for that person because it doesn't happen to them every day yeah you know i'm around police officers all day long they're funny they laugh you know they care about what's going on you know we're very supportive of one another but you you forget what it's like to have that interaction of the authority figure with you know somebody who's doing something and it's it's minor to us but it's big to them but i imagine police officers do experience a great deal of trauma in your line of work oh yeah and is there a good outlet for that or um, I spoke to an EMT and I said, hey, do you guys go see therapy or anything? And he's like, well, it's kind of stigmatized if anyone, um, any one of us did, because it's almost like admitting like, hey, I need help. And that's starting to change. Um, no, the, the best thing that you do is you find people who do the similar type situation. So like firemen and police, we can all get together. And it's not that you're you're seeking counseling. It's being able to tell somebody who's not going to be overwhelmed by it. You know, I mean, I've been to car crashes, um, where I, you know, there's dead people and dead children and, uh, how you deal with it is you go talk to people and interact with people who have seen the same thing. And you, and I hate to say this, but you have to normalize it. And, you know, just being able to talk about it with people, it, it lets it out. And, um, as in my own personal experience, um, with my wife passing, the more I talk about it, you know, the, the easier it gets for me. And I let little bits and pieces go, or I, something that I've never told somebody at some particular time, you know, before at some point in time, the right time for that me to bring that particular item up that I need to get out comes out. And it's the same way with, with police, um, as we deal with these horrific situations, I mean, we're going to stabbings, to shootings, um, suicides, uh, you know, the car crashes, robberies, all sorts of hostile. Yeah. And it's, and it's very traumatic for the people who it happens to. And we're, even though it doesn't seem like it, we're the calm that comes in. And, uh, just because we deal with it so often. Did you have to take time off work when your wife was, uh, passing because that must have been really traumatic to be experiencing all that at work and not and not be able to come home to a calm environment it's um, almost like a hard place and stuck you know work was my normal mm-hmm. because it was so abnormal to be at home and to be with her being ill the way she was and just for the public's general knowledge my wife was diagnosed with early onset alzheimer's at 47 years old and uh died at 52 and so I did caregiving for her for a few years and, but work was my normal. Um, the people there, 
because I've known them for so long, they were my support group. Um, and it's just, you need to be around friends and you need to be away from the stress kind of thing. And, you know, but I guess when I got home from work, I took care of her. I, you know, cooked meals, I entertained her. Uh, and then when she went in a care facility, I would go visit her after work and then on my weekends. So, that must've been a very intense time of your life. Uh, it, yeah, it was, uh, the time off I didn't take until she had passed away. Um, because I needed, there wasn't anything that I could, anything more that I could have done for her that I needed to miss work for. Yeah. And, you know, I, I needed to make sure that I kept me normal, which is, you know, that's the important thing. Because if I can't, if I can't help myself, then I'm no good to her. And your kids, you could never really let it down because you always had to almost be a, a support group for other people dealing yeah. with it as well. Yeah. And the, so when she was diagnosed, the kids were 17 and 14. So, yeah. Did you not tell them for a while? Oh, no. We told them right off the bat. And... Um, a lot of what I had done is, um, included them in my decision-making and it's like, here's what I see. Here's what's going on. Here's what I want to do. You know, not that they could make the informed decision that I did, but I made sure that they were seeing what I was seeing. Um, and that, you know, here's my plan. What do you, you know, and, and I'm, so it's more of just informing them of what's going on. So that way it was no surprise for them. And, you know, that's, I just kept them informed. So do you think it was any different dealing with loss because you experienced it so much in your line of work or was it just as hard as it would have been if you'd never, cause the average person almost never sees someone pass away. Yeah. Um, it was it, because it was more personal, you know, that was the sadness. And unfortunately when we're at somebody else's house, um, you're not, it's not acceptable. And, and I don't say this in a bad way because it's not, it's not a bad thing because they're, they're looking at us for calm, but you know, we can't have that emotional breakdown because well, one, it's not, it, it's not personal to me like it is to the family and you know, that what they have us there for is where we are, their calm. And you know, that's a, a great help. So it's reassuring that life will continue kind of thing. No, that's, that's not it at all. It's, it's that when somebody passes away and whatever led up to it is generally so overwhelming that, you know, all they need is something calm there. Um, you know, and that we don't keep them from having their breakdown and screaming and crying and stuff like that. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's just, it, it's a different experience when it's your person that passes away versus somebody else's person who passes away. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of warm. I'm warm and clinical, not cold and clinical. Like and we, you know, and we talk to people, we reassure them, you know, it's like, this is what we're here for, you know, and anything that we need to do, we, we do in private there and, um, and you know, we just talk to people and, Hey, what do you need? You know, do you need some counseling? And we take the time to talk to them and, you know, you look around their house, you see the pictures, you talk to them about that and you know, what a nice person that they were, and, you know, and uh, hopefully that's what they were, you know, is that, 
you you look for the positives and you just be a little support and talk to them. What you're describing seems like a juxtaposition from what people seem to be uh, seeing in the media that the police force is getting more militarized and colder. But what you're describing is a, a warmer kind of situation. I'm curious, is that a real fear that, I mean, police have more guns and, you know, like it's... Uh, I don't know how to say it. it seems like what you see on the news is that police are very cold people. It's the, it's the circumstance and, and that's what it is. I mean, if you look at the, the interaction that happened, um, at Saturday market area, um, here in Eugene, um, 10 days ago on, I think it was the, the 10th. And then you look at what happened up in Portland on the 17th, which is the following Saturday, that's where we have to be that way. So it's situational is how you are. You know, there's a time for me to be cold and distant and, and hard, uh, because that's what I need to be at that time. And that's gotta be terrifying, especially with kids of your own. Do you ever, it's you, you train and you train and you train. And so you, you know, I, I know the training that the person next to me has been through and, you know, what we've gone through and we've trained together and I have my expectation of what they will do and, you know, to protect me. So that I'm not distracted by that. No. And because if I was thinking about that, I'd be distracted and not focused on my work at hand. And would, that's kind of dangerous. Would you say you're, uh, you're more like very conscious, like thinking at that time, or you're more just uh, like a really good baseball player and sports players, they're just kind of um, unconscious and just kind of going with what their trainings taught them. Um, do you almost move out of your body at that time when, when you have very like life or death situations happening? Yeah. You rely on your training and that your no, no, no out of body type thing, because it's probably, and I don't know if you've interviewed any soldiers or people who've been in combat and I'm, and it's, not saying that it's combat, but it's very similar to that because that's what you're dealing with. And, you know, you're giving commands to people and you just rely on your training and you know, because you have to be thinking what you're throwing because it's so situations are so dynamic yeah. that you have to be thinking through of, you know, if this person moves to the left, they're moving in a place that's safer for me. And, you know, they're putting themselves in a, in a better place for something to happen where if they move right and they've got a knife and then there's the general public or there's children or something out there. Yeah. So you have to be thinking about the different ways that people are moving and, you know, what, what is out there. But it seems like with all the training in the world, it'd be so hard to rewire your biology to put your life in danger. You know, like that goes so against our natural survival. Does it feel like you're like fighting your, what you want no. to be doing? Really? No, not at all. It's, and that's what your training does. That's the same thing that the military does. And I, and it's a, it's a close tie to the military because that's kind of probably where the police started from. I'm not sure, you know, hundred percent sure, but you know, that's where we get our, our training from for, mm -hmm. you know, when we're searching buildings, when we are confronting people who are armed and you know, how you deploy out on things. That's a whole lot. And especially here in Eugene, there's a, a in the Oregon area, there's a lot of um, people who are ne not necessarily in their minds, like where they're having psychotic episodes and with the homeless community and stuff. Yeah. I'm curious, how does that change? Because then you're not dealing with someone who's thinking you say, oh, if I approach them, they might do this. 
but you're approaching someone who's completely a blank slate. Yes. And that's an aspect you were asking about a lot of the changes that have occurred. That's one of the biggest aspects of our job that has changed that we are dealing with mentally ill people a lot more often now. And, you know, there's more likely than not. I mean, I would bet you 30 to 40, maybe even 50% of our calls for service in a day could be dealing with mentally ill people. Whether that's Um, suicide attempts or, um, or people attacking other people or what would those kind of things be? Um, well, if you've driven around Eugene before and you just see these people who are, um, if you stop and slow down and you look at them and they're around their shopping carts and they're like sweeping the street or the sweeping the grass, things like that. And what um, happens on one of those calls? Cause I do see that all the time. That's a huge, they problem. don't necessarily, those don't necessarily generate our calls for service, but sometimes if you like drug overdoses, I mean, that's kind of a mental condition, mm-hmm. um, where, um, you get people who, especially on methamphetamine, um, that, or MDMA and ecstasy where they're getting something they're not sure of. And so their body is overreacting to this stuff. And that's where you end up with people who take their clothes off. And I mean, it's winter time and they're taking their clothes off because their body's overheating. And, you know, that's part of one of the problems with the drugs that they get at raves and things like that, is that it, which is a strange dynamic because there's the work of maps, which is going to hopefully make MDMA therapy legalized in 2021, but they're obviously not going to be getting something like methamphetamine. Yeah. Um, where these things have a very large potential to heal people, um, in a different capacity, much like CBD. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say large capacity, but that has a capacity. They did it where 80% of people with CPTSD, complex PTSD, don't show P- don't even qualify for having PTSD a year after treatment which is more effective than for what, t- what type of, for MDMA? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty absurd. As far it, as... It's it, but it's all clinical stuff. So yes. I mean, yes. it's, it's not so, and you look at how many people are not getting treated. So that's no, why I say absolutely. when you look at huge, no, I mean their success rate. I, anybody who's initially starting this and you look at any medical studies, mm-hmm. be careful of the numbers that you see because who's paying for the research, who's administering it, how are the checks and balances? And that's, you know, especially with the way a lot of the large drug corporations who are not in their studies are not independently sponsored. So I, and that's just a caveat to be aware of. No, people should be very conscious of things, especially with bigger companies that are producing things like statins and stuff Yeah, where they say it's actually like a 36% reduce in heart attack. But if you look at the data, it's closer to, barely over 1%. Yeah. Um, it's, it's horrific with things like that going yeah. on. So what is your take on the war on drugs as they call it? You know, the war on drugs. Well, the war on drugs started when I was a Just, teenager and you know, it's Nancy Reagan and, you know, just say no. And you know, it was, it's drug use is not a smart thing. I'll put it that way. And that's drug. I mean, tobacco would never be legalized now. It shouldn't be. Um, Same with alcohol. Alcohol probably wouldn't, um, you know, the legalization of cannabis. And it's only because of, I think that the other things that are going on because of the tobacco and the alcohol, um, I mean, it has its medicinal purposes. And I mean, I bet you if tobacco was distilled down a different way, that there was probably some benefit to it. 
There is, so. but it's very small and it's hard to get it in a way. Uh, it, it blocks alpha waves or increases alpha waves. I'm not entirely sure, yeah. but it allows people with schizophrenic uh, tendencies to block out all yeah. the external stuff. So they're not hearing a hundred so. conversations, Yeah, um, which is why actually a, a lot of people who have un undiagnosed uh, schizophrenia self medicate with uh, nicotine addiction. Yeah. So there are, there's like the world's a very complex and dynamic place, yeah. you know? Um, but I feel like that's probably one of the biggest reasons that there's the public stigma against police officers. The what? The war on drugs? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably part of it. And, uh, and especially because that's not the core issue. You know, people, people anesthetizing themselves with drugs is the, more of a, it's like a band-aid no, because the, of the, the problem. It, the core issue is money. And I was listening to oh. an NPR podcast or something and it's you know you have all these people in inner city type thing who can't get a job there's no employment for them they're on social benefits and those are you know next to nothing yeah and so you have somebody come in and say here's cocaine here's crack you can make money here's heroin you can make money mm -hmm. but if and, no one was buying it then it wouldn't be a thing and so it brings it down to why are people consuming drugs? Well, it's because there's no community. It's hard to get jobs. The world's set up in a way that doesn't yeah. value people's time and energy and family. Would be there's, my, would there's, be my there's, there's a portion of it that doesn't. Yes. So, I mean, it's not that the world doesn't. It's that there is a portion that doesn't. So, yes. Uh, yeah. And that's very true. I mean, you. Not that I'm against capitalism. I think yeah. it's a very good thing, but I think some parts of it are getting a little overboard where companies are allowed to buy out politicians to make it. So, I mean, the minimum wage, just the way that the, the world's a lot different. I don't know. I mean, I obviously can't say that cause I've never lived in the past, but do you think it's more difficult for your kids to succeed now than it was for you? Yeah. They said that the baby boomers are going to be one of the last groups or probably the last group that's going to be, have this standard of living. And so it's going to change quite a bit because when you look at the overpopulation and the consumption of land and consumption of raw materials, uh, and you know, water being the, you know, the key key one, um, yeah, it's going to change. And then you look at, you know, what they're anticipating for natural disasters like, uh, Cascadia here in Oregon, where anything west of the Cascades is, um, you know, going to be cut off from the rest of the world for, you know, however long, two, Months. three years. Whoa. Years? Yeah. I mean, well, until they, until you can rebuild an infrastructure and when you're looking at rebuilding power lines, lines of communication, cell phones is going to be one thing, but if you don't have the electricity and you don't have a way to get food in here, then yeah. That's absurd. That's why I never go place, live at a place like LA or Nevada where it's, there's no water right nearby, but it's mm -hmm. being pumped in. Yeah. The town would become chaos if there was no water. Exactly. Yeah. That's a scary thing. And especially it's it, every time like you go pee and then you flush the toilet, like it's got to be in the back of your head. Like that's a huge waste of, I believe it's fresh water. It's not gray water, is it? No, it's, it's no, it's fresh water. That's absurd. Well, it ends up back in the river. So, oh. I mean, is it a waste? No. Wasting of water is watering your lawn. You think so? That's I always thought that would go back into the system. Well, so does the flushing your toilet. It goes, you know, it goes right over here, you know, a mile away to the wastewater plant. Mm -hmm. It gets the urine removed from it and the other impurities removed. Then it gets, goes back into, into the uh, river. 
hmm. or you know a portion of it goes out to the tree farm that's out by the airport yeah the paper tree farm yeah that's pretty and cool. so i mean what do you get from a lawn nothing very true so i mean it's not like it, it well, where the more grass it is the more just kind of fresh air and like a place an arid place has a different drier feel than somewhere like oregon where it is lush grass and everything I never thought that watering lawns was a waste of, of... Oh, yeah. That's a waste. I mean, look at how much water they take out of the river that supports that river system mm. just to water lawns. Good point. Where, I mean, when you look at the habitat that all that water supports is going to be salmon, the trout, the steelhead, um, the ocean life that it supports. And then you look at the runoff that comes from you fertilizing your lawn. And I watch these people. It just kills me. And they've got these fertilizer spreaders and especially these commercial places and they're shooting it 20 feet off the grass and it right into the stream right into this uh street so yeah. then that gets in there and then you have fertilizer going into your river and then it increases the algae growth and that's a big chunk of what's happening like down in the gulf of mexico is you end up with all these fertilizers in in your water and then that's where you get the red tides and and you know the kill the kill off there it's crazy it's it's something that I've, I've spoken about a couple times is i mean global climate change is totally a problem but you can debate it either way like the world is changing but yes we're adding to it but you can't even argue about pollution it is a huge thing that's affecting all of us affecting all our animals oh, yeah. and our kids yeah and it's like the thing is everyone's on the same page so why is nothing changing with it you know they're not on the same page you don't think people are no i think everyone you talk to says yeah i want to be healthy and i want my kids to be healthy you know, so I don't want pollution. But then that's where the capitalism comes in. And that's where, you know, it's they close power plants and I'll use Utah as one. So here they close a power plant that was built back in the 50s. And this power plant was allowed to release so much pollution because of its age. And so it kind of, you know, it gets grandfathered in. So the company that owns this power plant builds cleaner power plants but when this one built in the 50s closes they have carbon credits so what they can do is they can take part of the pollution that that one used to emit and then allow another one to emit because so they have a carbon credit there which is that doesn't make any sense yeah it's like no that one just goes away now all of your new stuff needs to come to current you know as you build new stuff it needs to come to current standards mm -hmm. but what they did is they had those cre pollution credits because well we're closing this one that's polluting a lot so we can put our pollution out somewhere else yeah that's pretty much this gets to a very political place very quickly uh -huh. um, do you at work experience a very different point of view from other people that you're or do you think a lot of the, like, I imagine in my head, there's a lot of members of the force who are maybe more conservative in nature. Um, do you ever deal with uh, political disagreements at work? No. Really? You keep politics out of it? Yeah. Nice. Uh, that's, it's, that's not a, yeah, it's not a good mix. No, it wouldn't. Um, so. But then there's always that interesting point where it's like, you know, you want to be supportive and be like, oh, hey, we can have our different views. But if you support someone who systematically tries to ruin my community if i was say a person of color and someone else uh was a conservative i don't know i personally am not democrat or Wait Republican. A minute, hang on you just yeah. brought race into a conservative thing why now why would you tie those things together because trump's pretty systematically well well well, well then but you can't say that it's a person of color 
that's that's a that's a political divide and that's what i don't get into okay so because you're, so you're, you you're, you're making it race-based mm-hmm. especially just towards you know towards anybody yeah muslim hispanic and, and black yeah and that's oh well i guess can all conservatives don't but at least yeah people if you voted for trump you voted for someone who is a bigot like i mean that that'd be kind of hard to dispute but not that, that I didn't be. vote for Hillary either. I just didn't vote because I'm like, these are some both horrible people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, which is a really weird thing. There should be a third party of some sort. Yes, there needs to be better alternatives there needs than to, to be what's, better alternatives. To, than what's out there. Yeah, I don't so, know. And, but you can't, you can't take away from people who have earned what they have. Yes. And, you know, it's not right, you know, that I, for you to tax me and then give my earnings to somebody else. Well, that brings up an interesting point. Did someone who was born to an oil billionaire earn their money? Their family did. Their family may on this, on the backs of slaves possibly though. So that gets to a tricky, it's, it's a more complex topic than just like, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I personally obviously don't have a stance yet. I'm 22 and just starting to talk to people. Yeah. But my goal is from hearing different people's point of view, like letting them like saying something that's a little bit controversial, hearing yeah. them out, but without being like, no, you're wrong. Like I try, yeah. to, I try to like, give people the ground cause I just want to learn from everyone's perspective. Yeah. Um, the more that I've been watching both sides of the news, the more it's, that's two completely different worlds that you oh, yeah. hear from. Yeah. You know? On the it, exact same topic, you can hear horrible and good. I don't yeah. Know, really. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, there's two sides to every story. And then somewhere in the middle is the truth. Is the truth. That's kind of so, where I'm and coming it's, from. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So I'm, there's a lot of movements towards socialism and claims that Bernie's socialist and stuff. And that's a kind of difficult situation because you can't really have socialism without someone enforcing it through the threat of violence. But then the current state of capitalism's at a place where the like, corporations are their own thing. Like they, they, I think CEOs are actually coming out about it recently, saying like, if they if they had an opportunity that would hurt the rainforest but technically make their shareholders money, they're legally bound to to hurt the rainforest in order to make money. You know, there just needs to be a reform. It's the system's been going on so long, and technology and so many things yeah. have came about. That is like, okay, there clearly needs to be a change. No, that, and that's still a choice that they're making. It's not that it's, and I, because I disagree with you on that they are bound to do that. They are not bound to do that. Really? It's a choice. It's a, it's still a choice that they're making and it's, you know, there, it's a governing board and what they just need to do is make the decision of, you know, this is what we're going to do. And it's not that you can just be. You know, we're going to, you know, go bankrupt and, you know, just buy all this and quit, you know, improving on technology. But it's, you know, it's like pollution standards. So they still allow a certain amount of runoff and this and that and, you know, stuff from smokestacks where, you know, a lot of that stuff could be recovered and, you know, distilled back out. Um and, and something happened with it, you know, something beneficial to where it's not being dumped in a river. So, I mean, they're making the choice where, no, it's just cheaper for me to do that. Yeah. So it's, you know, they just, it's not that they're, you know, saying I'm going to make my, 
that a lot of them choose to do that. And it, like so I said, it's a choice. It's not that they have to. That's a choice that they're making. Yeah. Whereas opposed to, you know, um, you know, you looked at, you know, back in the 50s when they would go out and they'd bury these 55-gallon drums of pollutants that they knew were, you know, they didn't probably know they were cancer-causing, but they knew that they would kill everything that it touched. And here they go bury these things or drop them in lakes because it's out of sight, out of mind. And you know what? It's not costing me anything to dump it. You know how I bet this is, though? I bet this is just like the public's perception of police officers. I bet if you go talk to the majority of companies, they're like, no, we're doing good. There's just so many companies out there that the few that do bad get more press. I think a lot of things are more... I think it's it's changing. I mean, you... Yeah. And I'll... I'll use, say, Whole Foods as an example. Or actually, you can even use some of the local breweries. Some of, you mm -hmm. know, like Ninkasi, or you can look at Ten Barrel over in Bend. And, you know, you look at how they were a neighborhood or, a you know, a small city. They employed local people. Um, you know, their company grew and now they're bought out by Budweiser or Anheuser-Busch. So what there have, there has, I'm sure been dynamic changes inside their organization for cost cutting and this and that, that has not been beneficial, you know, to the community. So, I mean, it's, you look at, you know, the takeovers where if that would have stayed a small regional would have added to the owned. community. Yeah, it stays it stays there and supports more. That is so, a great I mean, it's, thing. Yeah, and it's... So where are they cutting their costs at? I mean, are they not buying locally as much? Um, you know, or are they buying cheaper? Um, you know, are they using fillers? Are they quit? You know, maybe we're not using... We're going to downplay our wheat by or rye by 3% and bring in 3% rice. Yeah. Where then that changes the quality of the beer. That's interesting. To move away from the politics, you've been enjoying life a lot. You've been kind of going on vacation to get away. I'm curious, in the work work enjoyment of life dynamic, do you think that police officers should be able to work overtime? That seems like one job, all of the EMTs and everyone, it seems like I wouldn't want the insurgents too. Anyone that's kind of dealing with life or death situations, I want those people to be resting a lot. You know, I don't think they should have to they should be in a, a financial situation where they should be working more than 40 hours a week and have you ever been at a place where you worked overtime yeah i mean i work overtime now you do yeah do i work to an excess that makes me extremely tired no i try not to but you're and allowed that's all, to that's all in personal responsibility yeah and you know um so there are mechanisms in place that help make the overtime available to a larger group of people so that certain people can't get, you know, just tons of overtime. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, that's personal responsibility too. I mean, you, that's, you know, that's actually a lot of what society is getting away from is personal responsibility. How so? If you think, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, people try to sue for things where it's, you know, it's very specifically somebody's fault for doing something but they don't take responsibility for it. No, it's not my fault. It's, you know, you know, uh, I'm under stress or, you know, uh, I took Ambien instead, you know, and, you know, so I'm up driving in the middle of the night and sleepwalk, you know, I'm sleep driving and sleep eating and, you know, they 
blame McDonald's for them being fat. You know, it's no, it's personal responsibility. I choose not to eat a Mc, you know, McDonald's. I mean, you saw what I was eating when you came in. I'm having, you know, a salad for lunch and, you know, the stuff that goes with it. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's my choice. I mean, I could just as easy go to McDonald's or, you know, anywhere else. It's an interesting so thing. It's personal, per, personal responsibility is going away. It's always somebody else's fault. Well, here's the interesting thing about that, especially it comes in with social media. But so places like McDonald's pay millions of dollars to a team of people that make the food like weaponized biologically to make you just crave it. And then the advertisements are so specific to target you when you're hungry and when you're close by. And so mm -hmm. it's just you against this company that has millions of dollars and researchers. Yeah. You know, so at some point I understand the argument for it's like, you know, what was I supposed to do? You know, at some point you, people can be influenced decently easily by people with millions of dollars researching is the best way to influence you. They can, but what you, that's where education comes in. Yes. So like my kids, uh, we cooked at home all the time. And when I explained to them, I said, if you look at the way a, a number of the pe not, not the core group that, um, our kids hung out together with, I said, but if you notice that you're not as sick as a lot of other people, are you? No, we're not. And I said, that's because of the way we feed you. And so that I've taught them that, yeah, okay. Yeah. Go to McDonald's. That's fine. And you know, not all the time though. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. If you want a treat and you think that's the thing, or if you're in a hurry and you need food, yeah, go there. I mean, it's better than, you know, starving for four hours. I don't know. I've actually, the more you have read about, uh, fasting and stuff. Well, no, but it's <laughs> like my job. If I'm, if I'm hungry and I'm at all of a sudden, you know, it's, I got sent to a death investigation, um, uh, somewhere and, you know, it was a guy who died of a heroin overdose and we had to wait for the medical examiner. So I'm hungry yeah. and I'm going to, and I know I'm, you know, my lunchtime was two hours ago. I didn't get my lunch cause I've been so busy. So one of us went and got burritos and we sat there and ate burritos, but it's, you know, it could have been McDonald's. It just, I needed food. So there's a time for fasting. But there's also when you need nutrition and, yeah, no, you know, absolutely. especially if you're working hard yeah, and like manual labor and stuff. I like it. Well, if you have any closing thoughts or do you have any topics you want to bring up or, uh, oh, one of the things that I don't think we talked about was the homelessness issue. Yes. I was kind of dancing around it. Cause I'm like, I don't know if it's something you'd be okay talking about. Oh, I'm, that's a big problem. I, yeah. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm interested in talking about anything. Cool. Um, the homelessness issue is growing nationwide. And I had somebody actually, you know, tell me this probably a couple of months ago is that the homelessness, homelessness issue is a nationwide issue. It's not a Eugene issue. It's not a Portland issue. It's not a Seattle issue. I mean, one, it's all up and down the West coast. Um, I was just in Portland or through Portland, uh, Friday, a couple of days ago. And, uh, it would just surprise me to see tents set up along I-205. Um, and it was just unbelievable. Um, you know, and I have my own ideas of, I, I think that the federal government needs to find a way to be involved more so with that. And like the programs that were back in the thirties after the stock market fell of bringing the civilian conservation corps back. You know what? These people have signs that says we'll work for food. Well, you know what? Our forests are in sad shape. Our rivers are in bad shape. 
um, you know, clean up, garbage pickup. You know, there's there's certain places that machinery doesn't need to go to be to do some work. And you know what? Take these people out, give them training again. You know, teach them how to lay brick. Teach them how to you know clean up in a forest. Teach them how to do certain things. Go remove. We have thousands of invasive species. You know what? The best way to do it is hands on. And, and just you, add more money to the community. It'd be creating jobs and people would spend that money. Yes. But, but the, some but of it the way, the way you end up doing it is that they have to go live basically in a dorm. Mm. You're paying them minimum wage, but you're giving them health care. And you know, it's, you will work, you know, we expect you to work and you know, so you need, it gives people, if you offer jobs, you know, cause like I said, people want something well i'm not willing to give them something for free you know you need to go out and work for what you get i'm not going to give you a place to live nobody gave me one you know they gave me one till i was 18 and then that was it yeah. you know it's kind of like your parents they gave you a place to live till you're 18 and okay go on little fledgling let's go get a job and start paying some rent but a big part of homelessness is mental health issues yes that kind of throws a wrench in that whole thing. So No, because part of what they can do when they do that is you give mental health help and you give drug addiction help. That'd be good. And, you know, there you can even divide it out where you have the people who aren't suffering from that. You know, here's, here's you know, here's a dorm and a camp that, you know, that they go out and work every day. So, and these people don't necessarily need that. But here you have a group of people that do, <coughs> excuse me, that you can get them that help. You can get them some mental health, you know, assistance. You can get them drug addiction counseling. And, you know, part of recovering from an addiction or doing something is having something to do. And you know what? We'll get you out every day, That's you know, and do that. It's, you know, have pride in what you do. You know, you go take a, a before picture of the forest and stuff. And, you know, then you do an after picture of, you know, it's like, all the invasive species are gone. I mean, you get rid of all the scotch broom. You get rid of some of the stuff in the river. You clean it up. Ivy you clean up all the trash. There's yeah. a lot of work yeah. to do. The Himalayan blackberries around here. And so why isn't that happening? Well, that's because it's a federal problem. Mm. So here's, here's an interesting fact that I learned back in college. There actually needs to be a small percentage of unemployed people. Really? Because if you think about it, there are jobs that exist because those people are unemployed. Okay. So, but you know, not homeless. There doesn't need to be homeless. No, not homeless, people. but no, but they're unemployed and, you know, so it's and it shouldn't always be chronically unemployed. It's, you know, like between jobs. Between jobs or, or a business a closes down. Yeah. No, that's well, that's even different. So it's, you know, people who they're phased out of a job and they need to get training to do something new. Well, like uh, I mean broke like a legs, so you have to switch jobs. Like you yeah. can't be like a running or a sprinter anymore. You have to go you know yeah you have to go do something else yeah kind of a between place and that work should just help be focusing on helping people because it's not necessarily like just spending your time but people need to find their work meaningful and fulfilling something you probably exactly get to enjoy but a lot of people maybe don't you know there was a guy back in utah and he worked in a coal mine and he hated his job you know and i loved my job i made less money than him i loved my job um and i said why don't you go do something else and he got all mad at me. He was all bent out of shape because it's like, 
you know, it's, if you don't like your job, you should go find something else. Yeah. And you know, I, it's find something that you love to do because then it's not quite, it's not work. It's, you know, a book that I'm reading. If you enjoy your job, it's not work. Yeah. And you know, I've, like I said, I've been doing it close to 30 years. I still like my job. I mean, I have difficult times because of, um, part of the stuff I'm dealing with. And there's, I just actually saw a YouTube video of an interaction that I had with somebody. And Were, was from your body camera? No, 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 I, no. Or it's, someone else video. Some, somebody video with a phone. Yeah. You know, and that's part of what we were talking about, why things are so visible anymore, is that there's cameras everywhere now. Do you think that's, that's a good thing? Oh, yeah. I think... Uh, it helps it accountability. Hold, you know, helps accountability and, you know... I should be able, I I should be doing my job the same whether anybody's watching or not. Yep. And somebody, you know, when I was doing a lot of other things going on, you know, and I told somebody, this is what I'm going to do. Well, how do I know you'll do that? Well, because that's what I said I'm going to do. And if I do that and I'm truthful about it, then the next time you have an interaction with an officer, you're going to remember me because he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Yep. And, you know, that's part of what people need to do. It's like, I'm a bad liar. And so I, that's why I don't do it. Don't lie. It's easier that way. Do you think it'd be a good thing to have body cameras and repercussions if you turn it off or if it gets shut off? There is. There is. Oh yeah. Within our department, there is. But only some officers have body cameras. I mean, all of ours have them. Really? I yeah. always thought that only some forces do. Like there, there well, are forces. Okay. No, I, I can't tell you what other people do. Oh, okay. I can tell you the department I work for. Yeah. But yeah, there are other agencies around that don't have them. Mm. And you know why they don't have them, I don't know. Is any police officers against it? It seems like everyone who doesn't have something to hide would be for it, because it would just in- improve the interactions well, with okay. the public. Here, the here's the thing. Do you know what? Would you let me look in your pockets? Interesting. I mean, you're, well, yes, do you, right why, now. Do you have something to hide? No. Okay. See, that's yeah. kind of you know, it, and th- that's a that's a, a but you're weird getting analogy. but your your salary is getting paid from from the pockets of the public. Yeah, and you have but, power. But you're asking me, do I have something to hide? No, I don't have anything to hide. You still don't want to be watched. No, I don't mind. Be, no, it's no. You asked. That's not what you said. Okay. You just said, do you have something to hide? No, I don't have it. We don't have anything to hide. Mm-hmm. Part of, and our, I'll tell you what, in, in Eugene, our complaints have gone down because of um, our body cams and our and our in-car video because, you know, people say, well, he was rude to me and he did this and he did that or she did this. Yeah. And you know what? And it's the violator who's the one who went off on us. Mm. And it's like, you know, I stopped you for running a red light. Uh, you know, or, you know, what, what have you. Mm-hmm. And then they just, like I said, they fly off the handle and, you know, they, you know, they, we get verbally berated quite often mm-hmm. and it's pretty amazing that, you know, that never makes the news. And I can tell you what, that happens a whole lot more than us doing anything to anybody. I bet it does. And also things like, uh, you pull someone over, um, it didn't happen where someone came up and they just got shot immediately, um, at a traffic stop. 
Uh, uh, well, so, so something um, I mean, I'm pretty you, sure somewhere in Oregon where um, the officer came up to the window and they just got shot immediately it was a bit really big news uh, a couple of years ago oh but well, anyway well, okay well when you're saying that oh, I'm, th- I'm thinking like, like very recently. here in the last oh, two or three weeks no but that cr- causes the thing where now officers have to be scared for their lives when they're approaching a car you know concern I'm, yeah um, and that puts people in an interesting position if if untrained civilians have to be scared because of what one civilian did like the tensions just rise so quickly when yeah. people's lives are at risk. Yeah. Um, what's the best thing to do if someone gets pulled over to de- de- like make sure nothing ever escalates? Because like you want to shut your your stereo you just, off. You and just stuff. you just do what the officer asks you to. I yeah. mean, you you roll down your window and you talk to the person. You know, and he's just a person. When, he or she's just a person. And the point: don't sit there and argue with me right there. Yeah. You know, if you want to argue with me, argue in court about it because, you know, I stopped you for a reason that I observed. And like I, like I said, there are people, our officers are made up of the general public or, you know, of the, of people. And yeah, you will get some who have, who have made stuff up in the past. And, you know, we don't want those people working for us, Nice, but don't sit there and argue, you know. You know, yes, I entered the intersection on a yellow light. It wasn't red when I went in. Well, you know what? You, you're supposed to stop for it. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. Um, you know, if you want to argue, argue some other time. So that's, I'm not there to debate, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, that's and then tell your passenger to shut up too. Do they talk? Oh, they talk all the time. And that's it's like, hilarious. they'll sit there and rant in the rave. And it's like, dude, you know, you're, buddy's over there talking and yeah you just need to tell him to be quiet yeah because he's not the one getting the ticket for one mm-hmm. he's the one who's going to make you know we we make a decision hopefully before we get up to the car whether or not you're going to be getting a ticket or not yeah but you know if your your buddy's just sitting over there ranting and raving it sure doesn't help your case any yeah it wouldn't uh one other topic that i actually kind of want to touch on especially because it's such a hot topic right now is with gun control and seeing as other countries, police officers for a while only carried batons. Do you think that is a reasonable thing for people to be pushing? What countries are those? Uh, didn't Europe up until like the 70s and 80s not have guns? I well, I mean like SWAT and people would. Um, but you'd always see like there's pictures of the cops and they just have batons. Well, I know that in... Uh, in I Britain. England. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what but I'm talking I mean, about. But don't... Okay. You overgeneralize and so that makes it difficult. So all of your, no, because I guarantee you there's a lot of the, some of those are state police agencies, you know, or, you know, country police agencies. And that's the ones that, you know, are a little bit more difficult to deal with. So, so? well, state police. So think about it. If we had a nationwide police system, you know, that it's, so you have the same people enforcing the law or you have people enforcing the same laws in Maine that you do here in Oregon that you do in Texas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, does that give you a lot of leeway? Probably not. So that's why you have so many different police agencies here versus, so you go to some of these European countries or even, you know, uh, Middle East countries, you know, they have a state police agency. That's it. Yeah. I didn't know that. So... Yeah, a lot of what I'm coming from is a place of ignorance, but not like I'm not purposefully ignorant. I'm saying, yeah. hey, I don't know a lot, so I'm going to yeah. tell you what I know, and then I'm I'm having people fill me in on what yeah. I don't know. You know, so you're talking about you know officers being unarmed. Well, and 
you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, there's a, a huge gun prevalence in the United States. There always has been. And there will continue to be because of the Second Amendment. Um, you know, have you, here's a question. Have you read the Constitution? I have not. You should do that sometime. It's only a page, isn't it? It's pretty short. Yeah. It's, well. It's not ridiculously long. It's not ridiculously long. But you should, you should read it at some point. And, you what, know, sh- what should I keep in mind while reading it? What's the? Just an open mind. And, you know, you're reading something that was written 200 and... 43 years ago before the thought of a phone or a computer even existed exactly technology has changed the game quite a bit and yeah. same with things like magazines that carry more than a dozen rounds compared to when the laws when the second amendment was written how big was a magazine six in a chamber no 200 try, years try, ago try muzzle loader yeah okay so exactly one <laughs> yeah so so it's almost hard to apply the second amendment to today no you don't think so? And, you know, it's like they say, it's a living, breathing document. And I mean, if you, you can tie in a lot of the things that are here today with what ha- you know, with what was going on back then, mm-hmm. some of it's a, a bit of a stretch, you know, but that's what, you know, that's what there is to base everything off of. Do you think people should be able to have AR? Aren't AR-16s just like any other hunting rifle? It just looks a little bit different. Like, that's the biggest thing. People want to ban that specific gun. If anything, I'm like, people should ban pistols. No one's going hunting with a pistol. (laughs) That's a machine to kill people. Yeah. Um, Gun control is its own unique issue and... Too so, big of a topic to even get too into. Too big of a topic. Yeah. I like it. I, I like mean, there it. are certain people who should not have guns. Yeah. So, well, it all comes back to a mental health problem. Okay, well, it comes back to mental health. It comes back to people who've used them to commit crimes in the past. Um, you know, convicted felons. You know. So, and the propensity for them to use them again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, and they're looking at early warning questions for um you know being able to purchase guns now so that's something that some of the states are looking at yeah i think that's a good thing you yeah good all right well thank you very much for your time we just hit an hour oh wow all right it's a quick hour it goes quick when you get talking thank you very much for your time then you're welcome appreciate it tiger